All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn back to Proverbs chapter 2. And uh, as you know, we have been talking about how to build your own personal relationship with the Lord. And we've been trying to cover all the different aspects of it that really help you uh, understand the fundamentals of what it really means to have that personal walk with the Lord. We've talked about personal promises. We've talked about your own personal relationship. We've talked about what it means for Him to be your own personal Savior. And we uh, have been coming through some different passages that really, really, I think, just really uh, give it all the definitions that we need that really help us understand what God wants us to uh, get out of the Word of God in a relationship with Him. And we talked about Proverbs 2, which says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand to fear the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Father, we thank thee and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you so much. We thank you, Father, for everything that you've given us today. Help us to learn your word, to apply it to our hearts, and to become, Lord, all things to, uh, to you, Lord, and then uh, to all men, Lord, that we might reach men and women for the cause of Christ. Help us today, Father, to apply the word of God to our hearts and our lives, to learn from it, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, we talked the last time, as I said, it talked about, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. Last time we talked about the hiding of the Word of God, the commandments, and probably gave you uh, one of the greatest studies that you will ever undertake in the Word of God for your own personal relationship with the Lord. And that is the studies we talked about last week of the kings of Israel, and how that those 41 kings, in fact, it was pointed out to me afterwards, I preached on the 41 kings in Israel, we had 41 people here last week, so... I don't know if that means anything or not, um, but it, it was kind of a neat deal. I guess maybe one for everybody here. But you can go through those 41 kings, and you'll find uh, everything you need to understand about loving God with your perfect heart by seeing men who do what's right, but God doesn't count it as being right because based on their attitude toward uh, the Word of God. What a tremendous study it was. Now today we're going to move on into verse 2. And I want to talk about another phrase, and as I've said, these are just absolutely loaded in here. Uh, probably nothing in the Word of God really helped me focus on my own personal relationship with God better than Proverbs chapter 2. And it says down here in verse 2, So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom. Incline thine ear unto wisdom. You know, most of us, as God's people, uh, we really don't understand the, the really the vast difference between God and us. And there's some reasons for that. Our society over the years, if you watch it very carefully, it has really eroded and degraded uh, its own concepts of God and the Word of God. Well, whatever the unsaved world does, however they go, it always has an impact on Bible Christianity. Now, it shouldn't be that way. It should be just the opposite. Bible Christianity ought to impact and change the world. That's the way God intended for it. That's why He called uh, His disciples and called us the salt of the world. We are, we, we, a salt is a preservative. And when you have the Word of God and you preach the Word of God, the church of Jesus Christ has a preserving effect on society. Now, that's why up till about 1950 you saw uh, America as a different nation. America might have been an unsaved nation, but it may have had a lot of problems and had a lot of other false religions. But the overall concept was that America had a reverence for God. And America had a respect for the Word of God. They still prayed in schools. I remember as a kid growing up that at our Easter pageants, uh, when we had Easter and Christmas, we had a preacher come in and he preached to us out of the Bible about the birth of Christ or the death of Christ. And you can't do that anymore. And because of that, because the society has eroded, because the churches have eroded, and Christians have no salt. They have no preserving factor anymore. So what happens is, as society begins to deteriorate, so does the aspect and the concept of God. And that's why most of God's people today, I exclude you of that, but, but in, 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 
but most of God's people, your average person out there that just goes to church, tries to figure it out on their own, the average person out there really doesn't understand the difference between them and God. I'll give you another example. Remember, and you all know this, back in the 1950s and 60s, look at the movies that were made that had to do with God. Now, who doesn't really like to watch the Ten Commandments? I know it's a movie. I know, I know it's, it's got, you know, the guys that kind of, uh, were the uh, guys that were the uh, advisors on it were, were Roman Catholic priests, and they always go that way. I know. But you know what? When old Moses is standing there on the mountain, that burning bush, and that voice booms out of that bush, I mean, I don't know about you. It gives me goose pimples, man. I mean, when, they, when they're going down there through the Red Sea, I don't, and they didn't have all the computer-generated stuff back then. I don't know how they did it. But, I mean, there it is, man, the water that Red Sea pulled back, boy, and they're going through it. I mean, to me, that's impressive. And I, and I, and I, I know it was a movie made by unsaved people, but my point is this. In that movie, they had respect unto God. It wasn't like they portrayed God as some uh, infinite, infinite being out there that nobody... It was, it, was, it was true to the concept and really the greatness of God. They didn't come up at the end and say, well, that miracle about the Red Sea, it really didn't happen in that burning bush. You know, it was just a light reflection off a beer can, you know, and the thing over there. No, no, it was absolutely portrayed as God is who He says He is. I like Ben-Hur. Now that brings you up around the crypto. I like that. That chariot race is great. I like the guy, I like the wicked evil guy when he gets trampled under the horses. I could run that thing back all the time and just watch that thing. I like that. He got what he deserved. And I like Ben Hur. A Judah Ben Hur. I like that. And, and for me, I know it's a movie. And you know what? There probably wasn't a guy named Ben Hur. I don't know. And I know that probably the guy that got killed under the chariot horses, he probably didn't exist either. But I, I'll tell you. When, when it shows that picture of the rain coming down and the thunder and the lightning and the rocks rending and it cuts to that picture of showing Jesus hanging on the cross with the blood and the crown, oh, I'll tell you what, I know it's a movie, but it puts goose pimples on the back of my neck. My point being is this, that was made by unsafe people. You think those guys really believed that the guy, that picture of Christ hanging on the cross was dying for the sins of the world? No! It was Hollywood trying to make a movie, but I'm telling you, it shows that back then, this country still had a reverence for God and an understanding of God. Now, that was back then. We've changed a lot, haven't we? Now we can't have Ten Commandments in the courthouse. I remember back in the 70s. I had a talk with, with, with a relative of mine, and he went and saw, this is show you how it goes, he went and saw the movie, Oh God, where God was portrayed by the old cigar-smoking George Burns. And, and, and I remember him saying to me, he, he actually believed that God enjoyed watching that movie too. He thought, he thought that, well, it was funny. It was, it was humorous. And because it was funnier and humorous, God can look at that, and then we go a little bit farther. Now we have Bruce Almighty. Now God is not just predicted as an old crankety, snar-smoking man. He's now predicted as somebody who likes to go around and do all practical jokes, blow up women's dresses. And the generation today looks at that and they think, wow, God, no, He does not. That's the problem. We have lost the concept of the holiness of God. But that's Romans chapter 1. That's what we do best as Gentiles. We bring down the glory of an uncorruptible God unlike the corruptible man. That's what we do. That's what Gentiles do. And because of that, we lose the concept today and don't understand the concept when we read that verse there, so that thou incline thine ear to unwisdom. We don't really understand the impact of that because I'm telling you something. It's not a natural thing for you and me to find out things about God. That's not my nature. It's not my character. My Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there is none that seeketh. There's none that understandeth. 
And what we do, Gentiles have always done it, they take the glory and the concept of the holiness of God and try to drag him down to a cigar-smoking old man or a practical joker who likes the sins of this world. If you were God for a day, all the foolish things that you would do, and I'm telling you, that's not God, and that is the concept that America has of God. That's why we look at sin in our lives, we look at sin in other people's lives or sin in the world, and we just shrug and think, God understands. No. No, no. You need to understand, I need to understand, that God is holy and I am not. And the difference between His holiness is my depravity. And that's what separates me from God. That's why the Bible says I could never get to God. There's nothing, no good works, no righteous acts, nothing that I could do that would allow me to have fellowship with God. Oh, Isaiah says it best in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. What a great verse. He says, I saw the Lord lifted up, and the glory has filled the temple. And he says, holy, 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 holy. And then he says, when he looks at himself, compared to looking at God's glory, he says, woe is me. I'm a man with unclean lips, undone. Because when you see the glory of God, and you understand the glory of God, it doesn't... It, when you do it right and you understand and you see the glory of God, what it does, it exposes how you and I really are. Do you realize that the Ten Commandments were never given for anybody to keep? We got people all the time, well, how do you think you go to heaven? Well, follow the golden rule, keep the Ten Commandments. They were never given for you and I to keep. No man can keep them. You see, well, I kept them all but just one. Bible says if you keep them all, you break one, you're guilty of them all. They were never given for you and I were to keep. They were given to show man how far he fell short of what God perfection was. Because you and I have to understand that God is holy and I am not. And I cannot have fellowship with God on my own. If it wasn't the fact that the Son of Man come to seek and to save that which was lost, if it wasn't the fact that He was the true light, the light of every man that cometh into the world, we would have no relationship with God whatsoever. But God fixed that. Oh, thank God that He did. Because God's original plan, ladies and gentlemen, <coughs> was to have fellowship with us. That's why He created us. In, the, in eternity past, God looked down and said, I'm going to have a kingdom and I want to have fellowship with men and women that love me, that want to be with me, that we can have the joy and the bliss without any problems, and we can have all of that together. But God said, you know what? My creation, I made it. I put it down in the garden. I taught them the Bible. I did everything. And you know what? They still turned their back on me. And people all down through the history will always turn their back on me because I'm not a God who is going to make you without a free will. And given a free will, you and I will make the wrong choice every time. And before we get too hard on Adam and Eve... God pick any man and woman in here and put them down in the garden without the knowledge you've got now and see how well you do. That's our state. Oh, but God fixed that. Because God wanted to have fellowship with me. First John chapter 2 verse 1 says that Jesus Christ was our advocate. That means a go-between. Oh, and this great doctrine here. And the and in verse 2 of chapter, first uh, John chapter 2, verse 2 says, and our Propitiation. What a big word that is. Propitiation. The word propitiation or the doctrine of propitiation means that a reconciling of two opposing parties. God was over here and He was holy. I was over here and I was sinful. And there was no way that I could get together. That's why God came down and took on the body of a man. And bridge that gap by being the advocate and the propitiation that Jesus Christ reconciled through the death of the cross. My sinfulness and God's holiness that now today we can have fellowship with Him. Now I said all that to say this. Once you understand that, 
Once you realize that you are reconciled to God, that you can have fellowship by the, 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 the advocate Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sin, then you understand exactly what verse 2 is saying here when he says, So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom. The word incline means, it means you have to put your mind to it. Somebody says, I'm inclined to do this. It means you, you, you have to put purpose to it. And what I'm saying is this. Once you understand the difference between me and God, and it's realized even after you're saved, you, you, have, you have, still have an old sin nature, you realize and understand that it's not a natural thing for you and I to learn and understand the things of God. Now, you know, when you look at the Bible, you think it's hard. The Bible isn't really hard. You know what you're really up against when it comes to the Bible? What you're, and, and this makes it appear hard, but there's a process by which you... It isn't really hard, but it looks hard because it is from this aspect. When you look at the Bible, what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand a fi an infinite God with a finite mind. You're trying to understand a God who is perfect and is holy, and when He hates something, He hates it with a perfect hatred. Now, how do I do that? When He loves somebody, He loves it with a perfect love. How do I do that? Because as a human, you and I, we always have ulterior motives. I love you, but I want something from you. I hate you, but it's because... I don't like the way you looked. I don't like the way you, you, you said something. Or I don't like what you did to me. Uh, so we, we don't understand how when God hates and God loves, there's no ulterior motive. It's perfect because God is perfect. And it's hard for me as an individual to come to the Bible and get God's mind when I'm in such a godless state, even, even though I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit of God. I have an old sin nature that always wants to go against God no matter what. And that's why the Bible says I have to crucify it. That's why the Bible says I have to reckon it dead and all those things. But the basic problem is that I'm trying to figure out an infinite God with a finite mind. And Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 and 9 simply says this. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now you see, that's the problem. You see that with your kids. You see that with your kids. When my kids were growing up, and they were just little kids, and I've told you this before, but it bears repeating, we, we had a tradition in our house. Every year, it was called the Wizard of Oz. And my kids were just little. Barb grew up watching the Wizard of Oz. I grew up watching combat. Gallant men. 12 o'clock high. Up periscope. Sands of Iwo Jima. But that's a cultural difference between a man and a woman. And I'll never forget. My kids loved the Wizard of Oz. And we sat down there, and it's a neat movie. I think there's a lot of Bible in it. I mean, unsaved man writes it, and he goes on down there. You ought, to, you ought to watch the weird, you ought to rent it this afternoon, or watch the next time, and just watch how it fits all the Bible. They're following a yellow brick road to a beautiful emerald city. But, it, you know, it isn't, it isn't the city. You know, the Wizard of Oz has one line in it. It'll teach you more about history and life and what goes on in the United States than any other thing that you'll read anywhere else other than the Bible. You know that? And we sit down, and we'll probably miss it. The greatest line in that Bible, once you understand, you got the Wizard of Oz, that mystical, magical place that's going to get you back home. And where I'm going is in Kansas. No offense for you folks from Kansas, but that's not where my home is. But I got a yellow brick road, and, and, and Dorothy... Oh, she's down there. She's trying, to, she's trying to get to the city where the man will fix all of her problems and solve everything she's got. 
You got the you got the devil. You got the wicked witch of the north, south, east, or west over there. You got the three guys that show up there. You know the tin man, the wolf man, and and uh, the straw guy. You know, and all those, and and they're down through there. And the greatest line in that movie: they finally got the Oz, fake city. And they're seeing the lightning and the flashing and the noise and the booming and all of this stuff. And they're looking around and they're saying, wow, this is a great city. This must be what I'm looking for. And then suddenly, one of them looks over and a curtain just kind of pulled back. And there's some old guy in there pulling the levers to make everything happen. And the greatest line in the movie is that booming voice that says, Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Just watch the illusion in front of you. Well, you see, I got a book that takes me behind the curtain. So I don't get hung up with the illusion out in front of me. Now you all go around. There'll be a sale on Wizard of Oz tapes this afternoon, I promise you. Greatest line in a movie. I watched that with my kids, and I walked, they come away with one thing, I came away with something else. And I thought, boy, isn't that the world? It's got an illusion out there that it's really the right place. And then when you start to look here or ask questions about here, you hear this booming voice from the pulpit, this booming voice from some brotherly Christian. Don't concern yourself with that man behind the curtain. Just watch the illusion. I'll never forget, my kids sit down there and they watch that thing. And they got a lot of neat things. I like the little guys. The little guys look like little monkeys. I like the guys that go, oh, ee, oh, oh. I like that, man. I've always put myself in that place. Okay, they're down there. What would I do? I'd get up on those rocks with two M60s and put down infilade fire, and I'd cut those little monkeys down to nothing. That's what I'd do. I'd put three snipers up on the castle, and any time that old wicked witch of the north, south, east, and west come out, we'd blow off her broom tail. But that's just me. My kid didn't think like that. But they're sitting down there and they're watching that. That thing's like two and a half hours. They're watching that. And all the next week, they saw it one time. One time. And the next week, they knew Dorothy. They knew who the tin man was. They knew who the wolf guy was. They knew who the straw man was. They knew who the wicked witch. They were singing, ding dong, the witch is dead. They're singing all the songs. They saw the movie one time. And on top of that, we tried to get them to learn their memory verses, and it would take us four weeks working on one verse to learn one Bible verse in memory. You know why? It is unnatural for us to hear the things of God. You have to work at it. It's a lot easier to pick up the things of the world. It's a lot easier. I'd say the average Christian probably knows more secular songs about the world and I like secular songs. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not one of these guys that tells you you can't listen to all kinds of music. I think once you know the book and have the book, you'll be a judge for yourself and you know what you can listen to and what you can't. And you know what? I learn from everything. When I hear Beethoven, I know, I know where that fits in history and where that fits in the relationship to the Bible and all that. When I hear that other guy, Dick Wagner, I know where he comes from, you know, and, and where he writes from, Wagner, and all those things, you know. And when I hear Mozart, I know where he's coming from, and it all fits into the history. So I don't have a problem with it. When I hear the Beach Boys, I know where they fit. When I hear the Stadler Brothers, I know where they fit. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. But you know what? The average Christian probably knows more secular songs and listen to it and get them in their heads and their hearts than they do the songs of Zion. And that's just a matter of fact. You know why? I'm telling you why. Because you have to work at learning something from God. It doesn't come natural because He's holy and I'm not. And when the Bible says we have to incline our ear, it means you've got to work at it. You're just not going to get saved and walk out there with your big mouth open and the Word of God's going to fall in it. Your foot probably will fall in it, but not the Word of God. Isaiah 55 says that his thoughts is in your thoughts. It isn't the same. And because of that, man always tries to bring God down to man's level. And that's where it's at. That's what you and I are up against. And I'm telling you, I want to talk to you today about how to learn the Word of God. And it starts by once you receive it, once you hide it, and then you got to work at it. Isaiah 65, 2, great verse. He says, talking to Israel, he says, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that is not good, 
after their own thoughts. The bottom line is, you and I, as God's children, even though we're saved, even though we have the Holy Spirit of God that leads and guides us into all truth, you have to have a willingness to change your thoughts to be like His thoughts. All right, here comes our main verse for today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. When you leave here today, you're going to know what this verse means. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He said, So thou incline thine ear unto wisdom. First, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now that's a simple verse. And that's an easy verse. But oh, let's break it down into components. First of all, he says, study. 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 You're going to have to figure out a pattern of study. You know, there's three things the Bible says you need to study. Three things. We're going to get to them a little bit later on. There's only three things you have to work on on studying. This is one of them. Study. 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 You know, the Bible is broken down into, into stories. I told you that a couple of Thursday nights ago. This last Thursday night, I showed you how the Bible was broken down by words. And now, I'm telling you, the Bible is broken down by studies. And you can make those the stories if you want. And there's different studies in the Bible that in time you take. You don't just try to study the whole Bible. You start with a basic fundamental foundation of what the Word of God is built on, and then you lay that foundation, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and then you build the stories and the studies on that in a systematic way that builds you the Word of God. And I'm just telling you, you have to study. But there's a wrong way and a right way. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. He said, study approved unto God. Now this is very important because this is your motive. Because I know a lot of people over the years that study the Bible for the approval of the preacher. Or their wife, or their husband. And I'm not saying you shouldn't study the Word of God because you want to please your wife, you please your husband, and all that. But the bottom line is, you don't, you don't, when you start to start doing things to a pre, a, 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 a be approved of men, you're going to get into a political situation that you're never going to get out of. You see, it has to be the right motive. I study because I want to be approved of God. I want to stand there someday before Almighty God, and I want Him to look down at me, and it probably won't happen. But this is my desire. I want to stand there and have Him look down at me and say in relationship to that book, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did what was right with the Word of God. That's what I'm looking for. I don't care who likes me, who doesn't like me, who, what you think about the book, or whatever the case, that's immaterial to me. Every man rises and falls to his own master. When it's, I like you, I want you to like me. I really do. And if you come up and got mad at me and told me you didn't like me anymore, I'm not going to lie to you. It would hurt. And I'd worry about it. And I'd try to do whatever I could do that you'd like me and I can make up whatever I did was wrong. But the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this. You may not be fixable. You may not be approachable. And the bottom line, when I get to heaven, I only got to stand before him, not you. And that's where you're at. Now, I know within the church there's an accountability thing. I make myself accountable to you. You have a right to come to me and say, Bob, I don't think you're doing this right, or I don't think you're doing this right. You have that right. I make myself accountable to you. I'm your pastor. I'm not somebody up here that you don't have a say in, in what I teach or what I do. I mean, I'm not going to let you nitpick me to death over the fact you don't like my color ties or i got two different color socks on. That's just part of my charm. But I'm accountable to you. I'm no God unto myself. I don't make big decisions by myself. I don't say go out and do this and do that. Hey, this is our church. I've told you before. At the judgment seat of Christ, we'll all get it. Oh, well, no, none of us will get it. We're in this together. I'm not taking the responsibility for this. This is our church. It's ours. If you love it, if God feeds you from it, it's yours. It's ours. But it isn't mine. But I'm telling you, I'm accountable to you. Yes, you're accountable to me. We're accountable to each other. That's the way it's supposed to be. But the bottom line is simply this. When you all stand before the Lord, and I all stand before the Lord, you ain't going to give an account to me. And I'm not going to give an account to you. We're going to give an account individually to God with what we did, with what we knew the book was. That's it. 
Study. Approved unto God. Then he says this, key word, a workman. A workman. A workman. You know, I really believe that God's, at the judgment seat of Christ, God's people are going to be fooled. I really believe that. Because I believe, and I've said this before, and I don't mean to put any pressure on you this morning. I'm not. I'm just telling you where I'm at. I have to do what I have to do. You have to do what you have to do. But I'm telling you, I believe, I, I believe that we don't understand what this thing is. And I believe in our lives, we spend our whole lives focusing on things that God don't care about. And I think our whole lives, we go through it and don't learn what God loves and make those things the things that we love. And we don't, love, we don't learn what God hates and make those things the things that we hate. And because of that, God is over here and we're over there and that goes back to the beginning of the message. He's holy and I'm not. And I have a tendency to go the other way. So I have to work at being like Him. But what if in the judgment seat of Christ after this verse right here? After this verse right here, whatever the judgment seat of Christ, and you get up there and you start telling God how much you love Him, how much you love His Word, and how much this and that, how much it meant to you, da, 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 and God just simply says, well, that's good. By the way, let me see your notes. You were saved 25 years. Let me see your notes. Let me see your Bible. What are all these stacks of notebooks over here? What are all these VCR tapes? Well, Lord, you don't want to look at those. Uh, <clears throat> what are these over here? What do we got? What, what we, I mean, you know what? The proof is, don't just tell him you love him. If you love him, if any man love God, the Bible says the same is known of him. How can you say you love God and love the book when you never crack the book and never read it and he's not, you never spend any time going through it? Now, I'm going to fix that for you today because I'm going to give you the whole shemang here. But I'm just going to say, you have to be a workman. I laugh every time I drive down. To the, I, I go to the fitness center, a fitness center, not that it does me any good, but, but I go down there, and they got grape apple turnovers in the thing. There. But anyway, I go down there, and, and every morning I laugh. There's, there's a telephone pole right before I get down there. It says, lose. Or it says, $40, 40 pounds, 40 days. No, that's a deal. That is a deal. $40, 40 days, 40 pounds. I mean, it's even biblical. 40 days, 40 nights. I mean, that's a deal. I, 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 you know, I watch these things on these television. I love, these, I love the stuff they sell on television. You get the fat burner pills. 1995. Fat burner pills. And you know what? Because you're going to order them today, we're going to give you a 20-year supply. Now, that should tell you something right there. Now, how do these work? It's unbelievable. Take one of these pills a day and then eat all you want. <laughs> Woo! That's a deal. One pill a day? Well, I, I, I mean, you can't... Hey, you know what? Here's our society. We're lazy. We have no self-discipline. And therefore, we are susceptible to any easy way to do something. We laugh at the $40 for You know what? You know where that guy's at right now? He's in the Bahamas. He's having a ball. You know why? There are 100,000 people out there to give him $40 if they think they can lose 40 pounds in 40 days. And by the time your 40 days is up, he's in Rio de Janeiro. He's gone. And then, you know, try these fat murder pills for, 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 for 60 days. And if, if you don't like them, we'll send your money back. All right, you have them for 60 days, you don't like them, it takes 60 more days to get your money back. You know what they did? They got 100,000 million people turned that money in. They lived off the interest for all those days, and now they send the money back to you. They don't care. They're going away to, they got the flight right behind the other guy going to Bermuda. Let me tell you something. There ain't no easy way. You have to hit it hard. And the first thing you may have to do is sew your mouth shut. Don't get fat burner pills. Get needle and thread. They have these patches, you know, you put on your arm to keep you from smoking. You got to get one pulling your mouth keep you from eating. Have a little hole in it for straw. You can just drink liquid stuff. But, oh, that's tough. You know how my body is? I don't know how your body is. But I know how mine is. If I get up in the morning and I don't eat by... I don't have something in my face by, by 8.30. I'm dying. I'm, that was Esau's problem. 
He's down there. He's out there hunting all day and he's out there running around the woods and he only missed one meal. And he comes back in and he says, he says, he says, give me some of that chili you got there, Jake. And Jake says, no, no, this is for this. You can't have any of this. And he says, well, I got to have some of that. And oh, I love it. I'm at the point of death. Give me a break. You've been out for six hours and you're just hungry. And then what does he do? Because he's got the groans and the moans in the stomach, he looks at the thing that God gave him to what the food was, and he says, well, what good is this birthright to me? I'm at the point of death. Oh, man. I'm going to tell you. There's no easy way to do anything that's meaningful in life. You don't graduate from high school and somebody say, walking down the steps after your graduation, I want to make you CEO of our company. $200,000 a year, four cars, house, Come on, come with me. That ain't going to happen. You have to work for everything you get. And there's no easy way to lose weight. There's no easy way to, to, to get a good job. There's no easy way unless you've got parents that's got lots of money who are going to shoo you in. But the bottom line is, you know what? You have to work at it. When it comes to the Word of God, it is the same way. You're not going to just learn it because of who you are. God isn't going to say, well, there's Bob Alexander. Oh, I'm going to give him everything that I know. I'm just going to screw the top of his head off and dump my... doesn't work that way. be nice if it does, but it doesn't. See, my head doesn't screw off. It's so hard you've got to hit with a sledgehammer to get what God wants in it. And so is yours. Workman. You have to be a workman. You have to set aside time to learn that Bible and you just say, Lord, I'm not going to leave here Do you give me something. He says, study, I proved unto God, a workman, not ashamed, not the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. You either rightly divide it or you wrongly divide it. You either get it right or you get it wrong. There's no middle way with the Bible. Jesus said, you either love me or you hate me. And the Bible says you either, you, you rightly divide it or you wrongly divide it. There isn't any, well, I'm just kind of halfway off. No, you either get it right or you get it wrong. And there's a process to study to show thyself approved to God, a workman would need it not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When I start teaching somebody the Bible, the first thing we deal with is basically rightly dividing the basic concepts of the Bible because if, if you don't do that, you ain't going anywhere. That's why you got so many heresies today. That's why you got so many going over the book of Hebrews thinking you can lose your salvation. Somebody going over the book of Acts thinking you can speak in tongues. Somebody going to Matthew over there in Matthew chapter 25 and see some virgins that are foolish that don't take enough oil, toil type of the Holy Spirit of God. They, whoa, oh, there's somebody losing the Holy Spirit. They don't even know how to rightly divide it. Now, all of my life, preaching life, people that hear me preach, they either love me or they hate me. I mean, there ain't no middle ground with me. You either love me or you hate me. And some people hate to, love to hate me. But it's, you either love what I say or you don't love what I say. I mean, I'm not one of these kind of milky guys that when you come out of what he preaches, you say to your wife, did you get what he was trying to say today? You may say, oh, I ain't never going back. I hate that guy. But it'll never be. What was the main point of his message? It'll be on your face like a bug on your windshield in June, man. I mean, there won't be any question about it. And because of that, people think that I have an attitude. No, 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 don't laugh because this hurts my feelings a lot. I've had people say, Bob, you're too dogmatic. I'm not sure what dogmatic means. My dog don't do anything automatic. I got to take him out. I mean, I don't know. I guess, I, I, well, I got one that does something automatic, but that's beside the point. We won't go there. But you know what? I'm telling you the truth. That's not true. You know what my prayer is with the Bible? My prayer is simply this. Lord, I don't want to believe anything. I'll change whatever I believe. If there's something that I've believed all of my life, I will change it in 30 seconds. There's nothing I want to believe about this Bible that isn't what you want me to believe. And I'm not hung up that i got a pet doctrine. 
And that I'm not moving off that doctrine. I had a guy one time, he, I was preaching someplace, and he had issue with, we had a Bible study, and he had an issue with something I said. So he got me afterwards, you know, him and a couple other the spiritual giants in the church, you know, and we're over here in the corner. And they're just, I mean, they're just nitpicking on stuff. And I, I nailed them to the wall. And you know what? And the guy, and, and the guy, I'll never forget this. What a testimony. The, the other guy, one guy, he's kind of getting it. And he's, I, I nailed him with a verse, and he never seen that verse before. And he's looking at that, and the other guy says, Oh, boy, I sure rocked my boat. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? I mean, what do you do with that? I'm changing my mind. What are you going to do with that? You know what that guy said? He says, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I believe. I thought to myself, Well, thank you for that testimony, brother. I don't care what, but there's people like that. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. Baptism regeneration, you get saved by getting water baptized. Hey, if that was the way it went, I don't have a problem with it. I don't care. If God said, Bob, you want to go to heaven, you got to stand on your head 40 hours, 40 minutes a day, I'd do it. You think, you think I, I have a, a, a cross and a crusade that I run up there that, oh, I'm going to believe this no matter what? I believe it because God said it. But if God came down tomorrow and said, hey, that was wrong, Bob. This is what you need to do. You know what I'd say? And once I was sure that what God said, now he ain't going to say that, I'd say, okay, Lord, that's fine with me. I don't have a problem. I don't have any pet doctrines. I just want to believe what, you, what the book says. I don't care. If I'm wrong, I'll change it. Uh, somebody says, well, Bob, I believe you need to, I, I, think, I think speaking in tongues is, a, hey, I'm all for it. I don't care. If I thought tongues was right and God came down tomorrow and said, Bob, you were wrong. You had acts. Two, Acts 10, you had 1 Corinthians all wrong. Tongues are okay. I thank God I speak in more tongues than all of you. I wouldn't care. You think I care when somebody shows me where I'm wrong? Uh, uh, that I say, well, no, 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 no. I'm no, I'm no what I believe, you know. I don't care what you show me in here. Hey, if that's okay and tongues is right, I'm for it. Somebody says, well, Bob, I believe that, I believe that we can heal today. We have the apostolic signs. Hey, I think that'd be a great deal. Here's how it worked. We come to church, have a little preaching time, go down here someplace to eat, and then head out to the funeral home this afternoon. Wouldn't that be a ball? Wouldn't that be something, John? We go down here, and, and me and you, and some of the other guys, and we all split up, and there we go into that funeral parlor, and there's, I love a funeral parlor. They're, they're a lot like this. <laughs> How did I think of it? You know, and you walk in the back, and there's the casket up there, and there's people weeping and crying all over the place. What a deal, man. Walk in there and say, hey, I got some great news for all you folks. Jesus is alive, and because he died and buried, rose again, we got the power to heal. Watch this. To the glory of God, walk up there, slap that guy on the head. He comes out of that coffin and says, hey, let's go home and get out of here. Whoa, what a time. People be coming up to you, hugging you and kissing on you, wanting to give you money and say, oh, look what you did. Look what you did. There's your opportunity. Then you say, can't take a thing for it. Oh, this is where they get in trouble. Freely give because you freely received. Ooh. I can't take anything. Give all the glory to God. What a great deal. Then we go to Children's Mercy Hospital. Whoa! Would we have some fun there? By the time we're done, with one afternoon, we'd have 5,000 people at our church the next week. You know why? Because they'd see what God's power was. You think I'm against it? I'm not against it. But I got a book that says, that ain't the way it runs now. It's okay with me if it does, but I got a book that says it doesn't. And I'll change whatever I believe. I don't care. Whatever I believe. If God shows me something else, I'll take it. I had a guy years ago. His name was Bud Spriggs. Bud Spriggs was one of these guys. He was a self-made preacher. Didn't go to church anywhere. Would never submit himself to any authority, anybody. But all he knew, the Bible. And he used to come to my Bible studies. And he'd sit back there, and he had that pious gas bag look on his face, you know. And there's always somebody out there that wants to pretend they're smarter than me. And that isn't hard. Because there's a lot of people smarter than me. And I remember old Bud called me up one time. He says, I want to take you out to lunch. He says, I want to give you what God has showed me. Well, I know when a guy like Bud starts talking like that, Eat something light, because it's going to not sit well with you, whatever you're going to get. And Bud's deal was, the church is going through the tribulation period. 
He was absolutely convinced that the church was going to go through the tribulation period God had showed him. And now he's going to show me. No, I'm all for it. I don't care. Hey, you got places up there to hide? You got guns and ammunition? We can hold out the Antichrist. We wax his tail. Some of them Babylonian sons of God, we whack them before they get us. We'd all hand over the King James Bible and AK-47 on the other hand, and we just sing, God, glory back to heaven. I don't care. And I never forget. Old Bud and I sat out. He said, I always like it when they do this. He said, now, brother, when a guy starts to tell you how much time he spent studying this or who else he showed it to that agrees, you know he's not really sure. That's a trick. He said to me, brother, I want you to know I have studied this for 1,000 hours. Well, that was the wrong thing to say to me. I looked at him and I said, well, bud, then I know you're dishonest and you're a crook. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, any man that would spend 1,000 honest hours in the Bible and come up with the wrong answer, you got something wrong in your heart, pal. <laughs> well, we ain't going through the tribulation period. I'm not hard to get along with. I don't have some hidden agenda. I don't, I'm not such a, hey, you know what? I don't care. If God would show me that it was the ASV, I'd take one tomorrow. God showed me it was the RSV, I'd buy it tomorrow. And if God showed me there was a better book than this, I'd go out and buy it. But there ain't going to be. Don't get mad at me. I've had them say, well, brother, I want to come over now and I want, to, I want to show you what God showed me and I think you're wrong on this. Hey, I'm all for it, but come on over. We're going to go for lunch. Bring yours. When after I eat mine, I'm going to eat yours because I want to see it. And I'm not just going to believe it because, oh, God shows you this. Oh, you spent a thousand hours. I spent five or ten, fifteen minutes in that book myself. And you see, I have no personal agenda. I don't care. If God came down tomorrow and said, it's, Bob, it's this, you were wrong, it's this, you were wrong, I'd say, Lord, whatever you want. I, I'm, like, I'm like my little kids. Years ago, and my wife remembered this, we were in Ohio, we were coming back, and we were driving back from Ohio, and my kids were just real little. Barb was asleep, it was early in the morning, and I was, we were driving, you know, and the kids were sitting with me, Barb was in the sleep in the back, you know, and I was just driving, and it was bored, you know, and the kids were, you know how kids are, they're little Kelly and Jamie, you know, we're talking, and, you know, and everything, you know, and, and we're just driving along, and along, I was on the inside lane, and, you know, and along come me, and this guy, early, like 6.30 in the morning, this guy, he pulls up, big Lincoln Continental, he pulls up alongside, and he's got the seat back, and he's kind of got a headrest back, and you know, you see him driving today, he's got, probably got two fingers down here on the bottom steering wheel, and he's got, probably got a cup of Java down here, you know, and he's listening to some tunes, you know, he's just cruising along, got it on cruise control, and, but it looks like he's sleeping, looks like he's sound asleep. And you know how the car, we're like this, you know, and we're driving along in the car. He pulls up and here, he, he just, for a while, and then he just moves on ahead. Well, my two girls look over and they say, Daddy, Daddy, that guy's asleep. Well, it's early in the morning. I'm bored. And I always have an overactive imagination anyhow to contend with. And so I start saying, well, you know, honey, no, he's not asleep. Well, he may be asleep, but that's one of them new computer-controlled cars. They said, really, Daddy? And I said, uh-huh. Well, then, you know, you don't get away with that. Well, how does it work? And I said, well, I said, you see those lights underneath the other big lights? Yeah. Well, they're not really lights. Those are heat sensors. And when he gets behind me, his sensors pick up the heat from my engine, and they automatically slows down and moves up the car. Now, on the front, he's got sensors that when you get too close, it slows you down. And I said he had those big wires that stick out on the side of your thing. What do they call them? curb feelers yeah and and i said now you see those i said that see that white line in the middle of the road and there's a yellow one over here well that has special paint in it and those feelers pick up those thermobobble sensors and it just kind of keeps that thing and i said so you can get on the road you can set it to wake you up how many miles and if there's any emergencies and then you just drive and you just fall asleep and, you, and they're saying daddy that is the neatest thing in the world that is so neat can we get one of those cars daddy you know the, about this time Barb's stirring around in the back you know and they're, they're and they hear it and they start telling Barb about the car and I'll, I'll tell you what I got chewed out more than anything <laughs> I've ever had in my life but let me tell you this those kids because I was their father would just believe anything that I said and you know what that's how I am with God. 
you want to tell me it's an automatic car and it's going this way and those are the curved feelers or the sensors in the road? Fine, Lord, I believe it. I'm going to believe it. I just believe it. I don't care what it is. Now, I know what is and what isn't because you have to rightly divide the word of truth, but I'm not saying, I'm not so dogmatic on it that I'm so hung up on it that, that it's got to be my way or the highway. If God came down and rewrote the whole thing tomorrow, I'd just say, hey, Lord, I'm with you. Whatever you want to do is okay with me. If God came down and said, you know what, Bob, we were going to go out of here in a rapture, but I think now we're going to go through the tribulation period. You have a problem with that? I'd say, Lord, whatever you want to do, it's okay with me. Now, that ain't going to happen, but I'm showing you where I'm at, and I'm showing you where you ought to be with that book. You ought to be such in tune with that book as whatever God tells you. You just take it. I, I don't care what it is, Lord. I just want to be what you want me to be. And you give me, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Okay, now. Study. Three of them. You want to study the Bible? Here it comes. Here's how you study. First of all, we already looked at one. Second Timothy 2.15. That it show thyself approving of God, and we will not be ashamed, right in the Bible, word of truth. All right, that's the whole concept of the Bible. You've got to learn the Bible. So you study to learn the Bible. That's what I do with you when we meet together. I help you learn the Bible. We start with a process, and I begin to build upon that process, and I help you understand the Bible. That's all I'm doing on Sunday morning and Thursday night, is adding to what most of you already know and what some of the new ones are already learning. That's all I'm doing. That's my job. <clears throat> So the first way you study the Bible is you study to show thyself approved. You study to show yourself approved unto God. That means you learn the concept of the Bible. You learn how the Bible works. You learn how to rightly divide it. You learn how to know what to believe and what not to believe. And you also to develop the attitude toward God. Lord, whatever you show me, I'm going to believe. And that's where I'm at. I'm not so dogmatic that I, I just got to believe this and I don't care what anybody says. I care what you say. I really do. <clears throat> I'll sit down with anybody. But we're going to go through the Word of God and you're going to show me from there. So the first way you study is you study to show thyself approved. Second way you study is found in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. He says, a man studieth to answer. You see that thing? You study one way to learn the Bible. You study another way to answer somebody from the Bible. He's over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, he says, he says you be ready to, for any man that asks a reason for the reason for the hope within you. So you not only have to study the Bible, you have to study how to answer somebody from the Bible. That's part of your personal witness. <clears throat> That's part of you teaching somebody else the Word of God. That's part of you coming to the point where you really <clears throat> understand <clears throat> how the Bible fits into your life. And you want to you you be able to answer somebody. Because I'm telling you, the moment you start to learn the Bible, wherever you work is going to turn into your mission field. And God is going to start bringing people to you, family, friends, people you work with. <clears throat> the moment you get plugged into the Bible and your attitude of heart gets right toward the book, <clears throat> your mission field is going to be where you hang your hat for eight hours a day. And boy, what a mission field that's going to be. And then you're going to get fielded every goofy question the world has ever asked about God and the Bible. And I don't say that wrongly, because a lot of people out there have a lot of misinformation, and you have to help walk them through it to get to God. So you have to study to answer. Second one. Here comes the third one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. You have to study to be quiet. There's a time for you to shut your mouth and leave it alone. And there comes a point that you start doing more damage to it if you keep talking and you keep doing it than if you just shut up and let God finish the conversation. So you have to study to show thyself approved. You have to study to answer. And you have to study to be quiet. You have to study to be quiet. Now, there's some great examples of that in the Old Testament. But you have to study <clears throat> to be quiet. <clears throat> you have to work at those things. Because it doesn't come naturally. You see, the way it goes is this. A young Christian gets on fire for God. Male or female. And that's great. And you want to you tell everybody about Christ. That's great. But you can't just go around like a bull in a china shop with a machine gun shooting everybody to the ground with gospel bullets. You have to get an arsenal. 
You have to realize that there are some places, sometimes, where you have to get an M60 machine gun and gun everybody to the ground. There's times that you have to get a rifle with a telescopic sights and put it right between one person's eyeballs. And there's times when you've got to get a shotgun and you've got to blast small groups of people. And there's times you've got to pull out your old handgun, screw on that silencer, and thump them when nobody hears or sees. You have to learn how to use that book. It's nice to go in and just lop everybody's head off at work. I've known people all my, and, that, and that's a natural tendency as we grow. I did it. I used to do it. I, was, I did it. We all have that zeal not according to knowledge. I used, to, I used to do it. I used to drive fork truck, man, where I used to work. And I had one of those ones that run that gas. This has been years ago, and it blew that hot air out the back. And I'd get me a little sign on the back. I was on fire for God, boy. And I'd drive around, and the people on the line, they'd always go, ooh, you know, because I would be turning around and stepping on the gas and blows out hot air out the back. And I thought, what an opportunity to witness. I got me a little sign I used to say on the back of that thing. When they look around and feel that heat, it would say, you think this is hot? Would he die and go to hell without Christ? Not probably the smartest thing to do in the world, but I was young then. But I learned, well, at least I hope I learned over the years, that that's not always the best way to do it. You don't always go into work and walk in there and say, Messiah the Lord! The most embarrassing time I ever had in my life was I went to a church to preach up in, <laughs> up in New England. And the guy that was the pastor up there was an absolute idiot. I'm not kidding you. No, 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 no. He said, we're going out soul winning tonight, preacher. This is Saturday night before church. I'm going to preach the next morning. And I said, that's fine. I mean, when I go, whatever you want to do. You know, I don't care. You know what? Fine. So if that's your deal, you know, and you want to impress me or impress yourself or whoever you're impressing that you think going out on Saturday night and winning souls is, you know, before Sunday morning, God's going to put the crowning blessings on Sunday morning because you were out there laboring in the snow. That's fine. Well, this guy's idea, he had a, he had a CB in his car with a loudspeaker in the front and a microphone with a PA on it. And we come up to a light, and there was a nice-looking gal walking across the street. I mean, just a nice-looking gal. And he gets on the thing there. You harlot, you're going to go to hell if you don't trust Christ. And I'm thinking, and I'm, sitting in, I'm sitting in the seat, you know, and I'm just going. I'm, I, man, I wish he had a, a longer car because I would like to get down. His, and, he, and, and he says, God knows where you're going tonight, sir. He looked, saw some people that looked like they were gay. Now, I don't know if they were or not. And at this point... I'd rather be with them than with him. <laughs> and he starts nailing out Sodom and Gomorrah verses on a man about, you know, perverts and queers, you know, and I'm thinking, ah. Uh. And then he hands it to me <laughs> and says, okay, preacher, your turn to preach. Now, I know that if I don't do something, this guy's going to think I'm a liberal and think I don't believe the Bible. And I know i got to preach tomorrow morning, you know, and I know that if I don't do something, that, that uh, I, I, this, this, if the whole church is like this guy, and usually the church is like the pastor. Man, I, 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 my appendicitis is kicking up again, but I, I have got to go. I had that choice, or it was like, take it and say, attention Kmart shoppers, or something like, parts line one. I mean, you know... And I just said, I just said, I said, finally, I said, you know what? I ain't doing it. I said, look, I said, you can do that all you want. I said, I ain't doing it. I said, it may be fine for you, and that's great, but it isn't fine for me. You know what? I'm not offending anybody that stupid. You think those people, are, if they think that's what Christianity is, you think they're ever going to go to church anywhere? Now, you really think you're doing God a favor and doing the service of God by doing something like that? You have sometimes learned to be quiet, study to be quiet. And you learn, you learn, you learn. Now, here's how the whole process works in closing. Here's how it works. Before you got saved, here's how it works. Before you got saved, you're alienated from God's love. You have nothing that God wants, nothing to give to God. He has everything that we need. But I can't get to God. Oh, the Bible says he was the true light that lighteth every man. Oh, the Bible says the Son of Man come to seek and to save, but that was lost. The Bible says, Bible says in the book of Romans 
in the book of Ephesians that God gave a measure of grace and a measure of faith to every man. You know what that means? That means God gives to every man and woman just enough grace and enough faith to get saved. You don't have enough grace, enough faith to understand all the great things of the Bible? You don't need to. You have enough grace and enough faith to understand that you need a Savior. And God gives that by measure to every man. And when a person gets that, they take that measure of faith, and they ask Christ to come into heart, God saves them. God saves them. That's the first step. Second step is, you find your church. Better yet, you get your man, pastor of that church. And Timothy tells, I mean, you want the greatest study of how to do it? First and second Timothy. That's the model. That's the model. A man taking a younger man and teaching him the Bible because he got something that younger man he wants him to do. And that's the model. Paul, Paul was in a church. Timothy got saved through that process. Paul took him and Paul taught him. And then Paul told him this. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. You find somebody to teach you the Bible. You find somebody that will spend the time to work with you, whatever you got. The most important thing in your life you have to do is find God as quickly as you can and get the Word of God. So you need to find you somebody that will give you whatever time you need to learn that book. You do your part, I do mine. Don't come and sit down with me and just say, well, you know what, I don't know, but I, well, we did this today. We, you know, I don't really, you know, I didn't really read the Bible much this week. You know, I just, you know, I just didn't get into it and it was snowing, you know, and besides that, the Academy Award was on, but here I am, give me, don't come to me that way. You come to me saying, I'm going to suck your brains out and there ain't going to be nothing left in you when I'm done. That's when we're going to get something done. That's where we're at. And you get somebody that will teach you the Bible, and he teaches you the Bible. You know why? Because down the line, he wants you to teach somebody the Bible. Down the line, he wants you to take somebody and do the same thing. See, right now, I can do it. God willing, if it ever happens, we get two, three hundred people, I won't be able to do it all the time. So I've got to reproduce myself to some of you sharp guys and gals right now that I know that will take that Word of God, love that Word of God, and do something with it, and then give it to somebody else. So we'll clear off a spot, and let's go to work. A workman. You follow the pattern. You study to show thyself approved. You study to answer. And you study to be quiet. You learn how to use it. How do you do that? By witness at work. By getting your tail burned. By getting out there and saying the dumbest thing and somebody just blasting you and, and getting you. You know how you learn how to fight? You learn how to get to be a good fighter by getting whipped a couple of times. That's how you learn how to fight. You see a guy that's got scars all over his face and his nose is crooked and he's got scars on his head and his forehead, stay away from him. You say, well, he loses a lot of fights. Yeah, but he learns how to fight in the process of losing a lot of fights. That's what you got to do. You see your job as your mission field. You go there. You begin to work. You talk to people. And you learn. You learn how to use the three types of studies. You learn how to answer. You learn how the book goes. And you learn when to keep your mouth shut. And you learn. And you learn. And you learn. And then, as we talked about in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 28, a couple of weeks ago, we, we lay the foundation. We build the courses, the doctrine. And then here a little, there a little. Here a little, there a little. You come to Thursday night. You come to Sunday morning. We have our time in the Word of God and we build together the Word of God and we start to put it here and put it here and build it here and build it here and build it here and then the Bible says the next process is that you add some things to your faith along the way. Second Peter chapter 5 2 Peter chapter 5 we're done with this but Second Peter chapter 5 you need to see this and then we're done. Second Peter chapter excuse me 1 verse 5 Once you get to that point in your life then you begin to add some things and it comes through the natural process of putting the Word of God and learning how to work toward learning that book. He says this, and besides this, verse five, first, second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and besides this, giving all, here it comes, diligence, add to your faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and the knowledge temperance, and the temperance patience, and the patience godliness, and the godliness brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in soul winning, in church membership. No, no, no. Right back to Proverbs chapter 2 verse 5. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And those things, I wish we had time to go through them this morning, those things start with virtue, which is moral rightness, and build into your life right up to charity, which is the epitome of love in the Bible. Even though all the new translations changed the word to love, your King James Bible kept it the way it should be, charity, because charity is the biblical expression of love, unconditional. But I don't know if you caught it or not, he says right there that a Christian that is saved and on his way to heaven can be unfruitful in his knowledge of God. You betcha. You know why? You have to work at it. You have to work at it. And you have to incline your ear unto wisdom. It isn't going to come naturally. I can help you, I can lead you, I can show you, I can guide you, I can keep you straight in the Word of God, I can help you get those things, and I have all the things, and I can save you what took me 30 years of my life to learn. I can cut the time in half for you. But you know what? That's the way it's supposed to work, by the way. The guy that taught me cut his 50 years in half for me. That's the way it works. And the guy you will teach, you will cut his time in half. That's the way it's supposed to work. You commit what you've got to faithful men who will teach others. That's the way it's, that's the process. It isn't me stand up here and you down here and me just be your pastor and float around in a big car someplace and just be untouchable and unreachable. No, no, no. It is you and me in the trenches together, shoulder by shoulder, side by side, same mud on you, the same mud on me, and we're in the book together. That is the way that it has to work. But you have to do the work. I can't do it for you. You have to study the show thyself approved. You have to study the answer. And you have to study to be quiet. And it takes some work. It takes some work. It's never easy. But it ain't really ever hard. Because it's, it's like the job you love to do. I mean, how can you not just love God and the Word of God and just not want to get into that thing and learn everything you can? I'm telling you, it, it, when I got into it, it changed my life. And I know I'm weird. I know. I don't ask you to be like me. God, don't be like me. Don't even think like me. Be your own person. But I'm telling you what, boy, when you see the heavens, when you see all that God made, and when you see all that's in that book, there isn't much in this life that really, really excites me anymore. I have learned one thing. All that glitters is not gold. Gold's in here. But you've got to work to dig it out. It's a gold mine. On your way out, pick up your pick, pick up your shovel, pick up your bucket. Go to work. Father.